Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it is March. I am on hashtag spring break, and there is so much going on in the world. We got the March Madness NCAA tournament. We've got the pre-release for Diablo 4 this weekend. Were you a D4 person, Diablo, back in the day? I was not. Oh, love some Diablo. I've been playing that with my brothers. It's been a blast. So I am ready to go and looking forward to a new magic set actually coming out while I'm on spring break. You love to see it. Yeah, that's right. This will be out uh, tomorrow for folks listening on Monday. But yeah, on Tuesday, March 21st, we will have Shadows Over Innistrad Remastered coming to Arena. And this will be out for actually quite a bit of time. It's going to be out for four weeks leading up to the release of March of the Machines. And most importantly, will overlap with the next limited Arena Open, which is very, very exciting. And I also think an exciting little bit trip down memory lane, though it sounds like Ben and I don't maybe remember <laughs> this set as well as we would like to. Like, it is interesting that the formats that we played before creating content have a much hazier feel to me than the ones post content. Yeah, my memory lane is foggy and dimly lit and looks like a scene out of a horror movie. I mean, like there's yeah. cards where I'm like, ooh, yeah, I remember that card was awesome. But like, just the look of an actual archetype, that is sketchier. This was in my days of don't play the format in the first week or two, wait till LR comes out with their first impression show and then do whatever LR told me to do. Right, like have up seven different tabs of LSV's set review, look at the pack, look at all the uncommon grades, pick your cards based off those grades, proceed. I mean, not not quite that handholdy, but I, I was closer to that than figuring out my own opinions. I'm not speaking for you, sir. I'm describing my <laughs> own experiences. Um, but yeah, we're going to run through uh, Shadows Over Innistrad Remastered. The full spoiler is out. It dropped uh, middle of last week. And we'll be looking at uh, sort of not a full crash course life here, but uh, we'll be coming a little bit more as a united front to the show this week, looking at mechanics, individual colors, and then a really cool, you know, arena digital only thing that they're doing with Shadows of the Past that we'll talk about. So we'll get into all that in just a little bit. First things first is some housekeeping. Let's talk about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose. We also have a number of excellent perks over at the Patreon, depending on the reward level that you want to give back at. Uh, everybody baseline gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is an excellent place to be for a new set dropping in just a few days. So that's awesome. Uh, move up the reward tiers. You get access to the show notes in advance of the episode. Get access to the episode a day earlier than the masses and moving up all the way the reward tiers you get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or ben so if any or all of that sounds of interest to you and you want to support the show in that way that's the place to do it uh, and of course we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined so this week we are welcoming ted jose joe john olivier eric david mike Moses, Cyrus, Patrick, C. Ballast, and Carlos. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player, tcgplayer.com. Best place to go on the internet for anything you need magic related. Want to shout out the TCG Player subscription for $6.99 a month. That'll get you free shipping and tracking on all your orders, as well as some extra bonus bucks, which is store credit on all your purchases. Most importantly, you get access to CFB Pro articles that me, you, Alex, a bunch of other pros are writing each and every week. I'm going to be putting out an article on Shadows Over Innistrad Remastered while I'm on spring break this week. So stay tuned for that if you're on the TCG Player subscription service. And you can also get yourself some Frexia All-Be-One Seal products. So whatever you're doing on the TCG Player website, 
please use our Lords of Limited affiliate link to let them know that we sent you there. You can get there by going to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG player, and then that will redirect you to our affiliate link, and any purchases you make will help out the show. Boom. All right, let's waste no time. Let's get right into it. We're going to talk first about the mechanics, and there's actually quite a few returning mechanics to the format, um, and we're going to do things just a little differently here. Ben has allowed me some leeway. We're actually going to not highlight the signpost uncommons, partially because my sort of completionist OCD is a little <laughs> tweaked by how they did it this format, because it's not like, you know, the clean cycle of 10 two-color cards. There are four two-color cards, and then the other six are cards of a color with an activated ability of another color. And that just doesn't sit right with me, Ben. I'm going to say it just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, But the other thing is that part of the signposts or part of the things that exist in the color pairs or the things that color pairs are doing is that all the allied color pairs care about creature types. So that's the first of our sort of quote unquote mechanics that we'll talk about here. So the allied color pairs are all wrapped up in creature types. So that's going to be humans for green, white, spirits for blue, white, Wolves and werewolves for red green, zombies for blue black, and vampires for red black. Very similar to like Innistrad, Midnight Hunt, all that stuff if you were around for those formats. Kind of same color pairs, same creatures. Exactly right. Those are the exact same things there. So, you know, and you'll have, it's not quite like lore. It's like all zombies get plus one, plus one. Though I think we do have some of those kinds of cards in the Shadows of the Past rotating cards. Um, But, you know, cards that will grant those uh, creature types activated abilities. And you just want to look out for those creature types in those color pairs. For sure. Next up, we've got clue tokens. There's a mechanic called investigating in this format. And whenever a creature investigates, you make a clue token, which is an artifact token that you can pay two to sacrifice to draw a card. And that is my biggest memory of this format is that clue tokens mm-hmm. were absolutely busted and you wanted as many of them as possible. Yeah, so it's a real shift, I think, coming off of Phyrexia All We One, just to sort of think about you actually will have time to pay two mana to draw a card. Oh, for sure. And some of the best cards from my memory are some of the build around enchantments that like let you make clues or do things with clues to mill your opponent out or draw cards or there's just Mm -hmm. a ton of sweet uncommon build arounds that I remember actually getting there. Yeah, I was going to highlight uh, in this mechanics segment of our show, just sort of like build around enchantments because there's so many of them, Um, but ended up not because we'll talk about a lot of them when we get to top uncommons. But that is, I think, our collective biggest memory of the format is those kinds of cards. And a lot of them were wrapped up in the blue and green color space for the clues. So we've got an example of investigating here. We've got a card, Drownyard Explorers. This is three and a blue for a two, four, and when ETBs, you investigate. So you'll make that clue token built in two for one baby next up we have delirium so delirium is a bonus that cards have checking the number of card types in your graveyard so once you get to that magic number of four card types in your graveyard you'll turn on delirium so for example we have a card obsessive skinner one on a green for a one one human rogue at common this is downshifted When Obsessive Skinner enters the battlefield, put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. See that kind of effect all the time. Ethan always loves it. Ben always has to talk me off the ledge. So two (laughs) mana, one, one puts a counter on something. But with Delirium, at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. So you get to turn this into a repeatable plus one, plus one counter engine if you have Delirium turned on. 
Yeah, and there's a couple plants in the format to really help you turn on Delirium, and one of them is an artifact called Terrarian. It's a one-mana artifact, ETB's tapped, and you can pay two, tap it, and sacrifice it to add two mana in any combination of colors, and when it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you draw a card. So it's going to replace itself, put an artifact in the graveyard for you, help you fix a little bit. That's an important piece. You just kind of need to keep in mind Mm -hmm. that you need to have all these different types if you're trying to do Delirium. But going into this format with Delirium the first time, the big question was like, are you going to be able to do Delirium? How hard is it to do Delirium? And the answer is like, yes, you can definitely get Delirium. You just have to pay attention while you're drafting to make sure you have all the different types. There's cards that let you discard or sacrifice permanence to help you get, you know, land is sometimes a tricky one to get into the graveyard. So basically you get creature essentially for free. You'll probably get instant or sorcery very easily. And then you'll have to do a little bit of work to get artifact or land in the graveyard. But there's lots of things in the format to help you do that. And also important to note, there are a few artifact creatures and those will count for two types towards your delirium. Those will count as both artifacts and creatures. Our next mechanic is Emerge. So we've got a creature here with Emerge. This is an alternate casting cost. So Wretched Griff costs seven mana for a 3-4 Eldrazi Hippogriff with flying. And it says whenever you cast this spell, draw a card. And it's got Emerge for five and a blue. And that says you may cast the spell by sacrificing a creature and paying the emerge cost reduced by that creature's mana value. So this essentially lets you sacrifice a creature, which is another way to help you get a creature into the yard to turn on delirium potentially. Although that was not the best use for emerge. Basically, you just (laughs) want replaceable creatures that cantripped when they enter the battlefield or something to help you ramp out a better card. But my memory is that Wretched Griff was not great. Uh Uh-oh. Because my memory is that it was great. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Great, maybe not. But I do I do remember that this was a good card. Like, I, when I saw that Emerge was part of the set, I was like, I wonder if Wretched Griff will be here, was my first thought. So, I don't know. We'll have to see who who's right in their memory and who's wrong. I feel I'm gonna like guess I've never you. seen this card before in my life. <laughs> oh, and then, okay, then never mind. It was definitely more than, like, unplayable. So, I feel like this is just part of your hazy horror movie memory. But was this, this would have been Eldritch Moon, right? Not Shadows Over Innistrad? Correct, because all the Emerge cards were in Eldritch Moon. Right, but we don't have all the 3-2 plants to, like, help you emerge the stuff out. But those didn't, those didn't have mana values. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, this, so, is, a, this is a wonderful conversation we're having here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah do, am I supposed to cut some of this? I, I don't know. All we, of this? No, 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 it's perfect. Leave it in. Okay. Great. So there's a card. I, don't, I forget what it's called. Some sort of cultist, occultist. It's a two and a blue, two, two. When it dies, you draw a card. That's the kind of thing that you want to be thinking about because then you sacrifice that to the griff. You get your card back from that. You get your card from the griff. This only costs three mana to get a three, four flyer. Like that's the kind of thing you want to be looking out for is cheap creatures that have death triggers or can have an effect in the graveyard. There's a, a ton of those creatures that you can like bring back from the graveyard by discarding stuff or, you know, can exile from your graveyard to make a one, one spirit, that type of thing. Next up, we have madness, which is an alternate cost that some cards have. If you discard it, you can cast it for that cost. So that's a, a little confusing. We'll, we'll break that down in just a second. So for example, we have alchemists greeting. This is four and a red for a sorcery. Deals four damage to target creature. Big, clunky, red removal spell. Even worse than usual, right? Five mana sorcery speed, deal four. However, it has a madness cost of one and a red. If you discard this card, discard it into exile. When you do, cast it for its madness cost or put it into your graveyard. So you get this little pause when you discard a madness card where you get to go, hey, this is an exile. Do you want to cast it? And if not, it'll go to the graveyard. So that's a huge difference, right? Five mana sorcery deal four. That's terrible. But 
two mana instant deal four. That's incredible. And that's the big difference here. If you look at any creatures that have madness, any sorceries that have madness, all of a sudden you get to cast these at instant speed. The timing restrictions do not matter when you're looking at the madness cost. Yeah, so your opponent can flash in creatures essentially to ambush your stuff if they're a madness deck or vice versa. If you're the madness deck, you can flash in a creature on your end step, you know, by discarding it to a discard outlet that you have on the battlefield. And then, you know, your opponent's under more pressure than they thought they would be. Madness is a very tricky deck to play with Mm -hmm. and against, but it's very, very powerful, assuming that you get the appropriate collection of discard outlets and madness cards. It also can fall very flat if you don't get the right ratio of discard outlets to madness cards. And what do you think is that right ratio? Like one to one? I would prefer at least one to one. Yeah, maybe slightly more discard outlets than madness cards, which is tough to do sometimes. And free discard outlets are really important, right? You want the discard outlets to have no mana cost associated with them if possible. Yes, for sure. But if you don't get that, your Madness deck ends up being very clunky, right? It should be a nice synergistic streamlined thing where anytime you want a Madness, you can essentially. And if you're not able to do that and you're casting your Alchemist Greeting for five mana because your opponent killed your one discard outlet, your deck just doesn't do anything. Next up, we've got Escalate, which is another way to uh, make cards better, almost like Kicker. So the card we have here as an example is Borrowed Hostility. This is red for an instant, and it's got Escalate for three. It says choose one or both. Target creature gets plus three plus oh until end of turn. Target creature gains first strike until end of turn. And so these modal cards for each mode that you want to choose beyond the first you have to pay the Escalate cost. So if you want one of these effects, you pay red for Borrowed Hostility. If you want both, you have to include the Escalate cost of three and then pay three in a red. But sometimes these will have three, four options and maybe an Escalate cost of two. So you'll actually be able to choose three or four options if you have a ton of mana. Yeah, I think there's a rare, it's called Collective Brutality, where its Escalate cost is to discard a card. Um, and there's three modes there. So you could end up doing all three, but you have to then discard two cards along with it. Next up, we have Transform. So not quite day-night for folks remembering from uh, Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. It's not quite day-night, but we do have cards that transform, and a lot of them are werewolves. So, for example, we have Gyre Reach Bandit, two and a red for a 3-2 human rogue werewolf with haste. So three mana, 3-2 with haste. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast last turn, transform Gyre Reach Bandit. And it flips into a 4-3 that says whenever a werewolf enters the battlefield under your control, you may transform it. Okay, pretty interesting. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, if a player casts two or more spells last turn, transform Vilden Pack Alpha. That's the backside of Gyre Reach Bandit. So it goes back. So two big differences that we should highlight here from day-night. So the day-night cycle sort of got started, right? When any card with day-night came into play, the cycle starts, and the person whose turn it was could choose to break or not break that cycle, right? If they decided to pass the turn, it flipped to night. If they decided to cast two spells, it flipped back to day, the next turn cycle. No disruption. This little fussier. Creatures will always come in on their front side, right? There's no day-night cycle. The game is not tracked that way. The card comes into play on its front side. There are some cards that make exceptions to that rule, but that is the general rule. Right, and I don't think those cards exist in this particular format. Okay. 
I don't think they've been brought back. I, I could be wrong, but I didn't see them uh, when looking through the spoiler. And any player affects the spell count for transformation. That's the big change, right? So if I'm playing against Ben, Ben's got some werewolves, and he wants to flip them, he goes, okay, I'm not going to do anything on my turn, pass to you. And I go, end step, play a draw spell. Well, that's going to stop his creatures from flipping. Similarly, I could play two spells on his end step if I wanted to flip it back today or whatever. You know, I keep saying day night, but it's not. I just want to transform his creatures back. Um, so those are the two big differences from the day night cycle. Yeah. And my memory of playing with the original werewolves is that you basically never wanted to pass the turn to try to flip them if your opponent had open mana if you had other things to do, right? Because you just got so punished if you had werewolves and you tried to pass the turn with action. And it's important too, there are cards that let you operate at instant speed on your opponent's turn, right? So you can pass the turn with a flash creature up maybe or something like that so that you're not just essentially lighting your mana on fire hoping to flip your werewolves. And madness certainly lets you do that, right? If If you've got some sort of hybrid black red or your red green deck has some uh, discard madness stuff in the red side of things you pass flip to flip your werewolves you know you can certainly do that um, and then there are also cards that transform in other ways and don't transform back you know there's a there's a blue mana dork it's a one and a blue for a one one it taps for a colorless mana but only for instants and sorceries and then I think at the beginning of your upkeep if you have like three or more instants or sorceries in your graveyard it transforms but then it doesn't have a transform back clause. Um, and then another way that cards transform is, I think, I think one of Ben's favorite memories of this format is Meld. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very cool when it happens for you. Less less cool when it happens for your opponents. So there's two cards here that Meld. Um, the first is Graph Rats, one in a black for 2-1 at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you both own and control Graph Rats and a creature named Midnight Scavengers, exile them and then meld them into Chittering Host. And so Midnight Scavengers is four and a black for a 3-3. When it ETBs, you can return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to your hand. And then again, if you have both those cards at the beginning of combat, you'll meld into Chittering Host, which is a 5-6 haste menace. And when it ETBs, other creatures you control get plus one plus oh and gain menace until end of turn. I remember this being not great, even when both of these cards were commons. Yeah, it's tough. I definitely remember things where like, I took a Midnight Scavengers and thought a Graph Rats would wheel and it didn't. And obviously, Midnight Scavengers is a fine card on its own, right? Five mana, three, three, Gravedigger for, you know, a three mana value or less creature is pretty good. You know, we just saw Nimrazer Paladin as a fine version of this as well in one um, as the five mana, four, four, Toxic two. Uh, this doesn't die to Hex Gold Slash, though. So, yeah, I, I remember Scavengers being fine, Graph Rats not. But together, you know, it's pretty fun. Well, right. And the joke is that Midnight Scavengers can grab your Graph Rats back out of the graveyard if they've died, you know, once you play the Midnight Scavengers. But Midnight Scavengers is now an uncommon. So I imagine this will be happening even less than normal because I don't think it was really worth going after generally. Yeah, I I agree. I'm I'm confused a little bit by the rarity upshift there. It makes it a lot harder to do. You know, you didn't see this happen that much when they were both commons, like you said. So uh, a lot... Of mechanics, a lot of new mechanics if you've never played with these before, right? Because basically we're jamming mechanics from both Shadows over Innistrad and Eldritch Moon into this set. So you're getting quite a bit because there was some overlap, but then some new stuff like Emerge came out of of Eldritch Moon. So uh, those are the mechanics. And then we're going to take an ad break and be back with the individual colors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially since we're constantly growing and changing. 
Much like the board state in a game of magic, we're always reevaluating and assessing each new piece of information to make the best decision moving forward. And you know how it's often helpful to actually verbalize your thought process and decision making in MTG? Same is true for problems we face in life. Sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp gives you the tools to do just that by connecting you with a licensed therapist who can guide you on a journey of self-discovery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Lords. And now, back to the show. All right, Ben, let's kick things off with white. What's going on there? Well, we've kind of got these colors split up into some broad themes that they have going on. So for white, we already talked about, you know, white, green, it's got humans going on. White, blue has got spirits going on. So each color is going to have tribal stuff going on, depending on what other colors you choose to pair it with. There's also some incidental life gain synergies going on in white. We've got a card, Lone Rider here. What's going on there? So Lone Rider is one in a white for a 1-1 human knighted uncommon. It has first strike and lifelink. And it says at the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more life this turn, transform Lone Rider. And this is one of those cards that just transforms and doesn't flip back. Transforms into It That Rides As One, which is a 4-4 with First Strike, Trample, and Lifelink. That is a reason to try and gain three or more life in a turn. Yeah, the card is quite strong. Similarly, there's also cards that interact favorably with auras. We've got a card, Ironclad Slayer here, two and a white for a 3-2. When ETBs, you can return target aura or equipment card from your graveyard to your hand. There are some banger auras in this format, and this lets you rebuy them. Specifically, I can remember a broken uncommon one that gives your creature plus two, plus two, and then exiles something on your opponent's side of the battlefield. You know, that card's insane. And then if your opponent manages to deal with it and you rebuy it with Ironclad Slayer, just forget about it. The game's over. So this is like a minor upside. This card's not insane or anything, but certainly good if you've got some of the powerful white auras running around. And then white actually plays a bit in the sacrifice space. So there's a card, Angelic Purge, which is two and white for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a permanent to exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment. So a three mana sorcery speed, an additional cost, to exile something. It's not great, but I remember this playing out better than it looks. Um, And I think some important things to note is the white has a number of creatures that can be exiled from the graveyard to make 1-1 spirits. So that's pretty good. White also makes clue tokens and clue tokens are permanents you can sacrifice, which feel a little less bad than, you know, sacrificing a land or a creature or whatever. But often in the late game, when you've got six mana or whatever, paying three mana to exile something and sack a land, Not that big of a deal. So Angelic Purge, I think, better than it looks. Right. First copy, I think you're fine to run. And there's diminishing returns after that, for sure. So to give you an idea of where we're at, like what cards are jumping out to us, we've got a rough like top three commons, top two uncommons for each color, and then some additional cards that sort of sparked some memories for us of, <laughs> of a little twinkle in the distance of is this good? But we'll start with with the one, two, three of the commons. Number one, feel pretty confident about this. Thraben Inspector is back. Single white for a 1-2 human soldier. When it enters the battlefield, investigate. Card's excellent. Yeah, card's excellent. What can you say? I mean, it's two pieces of cardboard for a single mana. Two rectangles, even. Two rectangles, even. In the number two slot, we've got Bound by Moonsilver. Two and a white for an aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't attack, block, or transform. 
and you can sacrifice another permanent to attach this to another target creature, activating it only as a sorcery and only once each turn. So when you put this on something, stop you from getting early damage, and then late in the game, you can move it to your opponent's bomb by sacrificing a permanent. Also, very cool that this is a way to get lands into the yard for delirium. So Ooh. that's another thing to look out for. There's just a lot going on with Bound by Moon Silver. Yeah, I didn't think about that with the sacrifice space, that that also helps you get delirium if it's sacrifice any permanent. And then in the number three slot, we've got Dauntless Cathar, two and a white for a 3-2 human soldier. And you can pay one and a white to exile it from your graveyard to make a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying. Activate this ability only as a sorcery. I remember this being pretty darn good. Like, you know, it's it's similar to any sort of three mana, three, two that then dies into a one, one. And yes, you have to pay the mana for it. But getting a 1-1 flyer is pretty good. Yeah, my memory of this is that it's slightly less good than that. I remember thinking it was awesome and then feeling very constricted by having to pay two for the 1-1 flyer. I mean, not that it wasn't good, but my memory is being super high on it and then cooling on it as I played with it more and more. But again, who knows? These are very hazy memories. A couple more hazy memories. What do you got for me? Because I remember the same thing about this uh, clunky, weird looking aura. Yeah, I remember this card, Lunark Mantle, being very good. So it was one in a white, maybe not very good. That's a stretch. <laughs> remember it being much more playable than we would have thought. So one in a white for an aura, enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has one sacrifice a permanent. This creature gains flying until end of turn. So it lets you sacrifice things at instant speed, maybe to turn on delirium at instant speed. Also just a threat to totally clock your opponent. Like a 2-2 two -two wearing a Lunark Mantle is a 4-4, four -four, and then you can just kind of go to town sacrificing some lands as a Hail Mary if you need to. This card just did a lot of things. It also let you sacrifice itself in emergency case to just turn on delirium to, if you needed an enchantment in the graveyard. Yeah, that's true. Well, and the thing to remember about this is you don't, if you stick this early, you don't actually have to sacrifice something every single time you attack, right? The play pattern that I remember with this is you you know, put this, as you said, you put this on a 2-2 early, you're attacking in with a big chunker, maybe back it up with a removal spell. All of a sudden, your opponent's at eight because they didn't want to chump block along the way. And now all it takes is you to sacrifice two permanents along the way to get them dead in the air. Right. But this was in the days of auras are terrible. You shouldn't play auras ever because you're going to get two for one. And I just remember it being much better than that. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, Sigardian Priest. I remember this card doing a fair amount of work, but it was kind of matchup dependent a little bit. So this is Sigardian Priest, one and a white for a one, two, and it's a human cleric. You can pay one, tap it, to tap target non-human creature. So against all the monsters decks, quite good. But then if you're against you know, a white deck playing a bunch of humans, certainly less good there. But I remember that card doing some work. Yeah, I don't remember this card. <laughs> I do remember <laughs> it's like there was a functional reprint or this was a functional reprint of a card in original Innistrad that I remember being quite good, one of the best white commons. Um, but I don't remember this. But everything you're saying is right, right? Like against all of the zombie decks, the werewolves decks, uh, important to note that the werewolves are humans on their front side, but werewolves on the backside and certainly the wolves. But yeah, the zombies, the wolves, the vampires. This is quite good. All right, that takes us on to some top uncommons in the number one slot. This is the aura I was talking about earlier. Faith Unbroken, three and a white enchant creature you control when it ETBs. Exile target creature and opponent controls until Faith Unbroken leaves the battlefield. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two. Yeah, this card is just an absolute beating this card got this card got the aura stamp of approval back in the day so you know it's absolutely broken right that was that was a real uh, a real mark of a broken card and i tried my darndest to find another 
uncommon that I felt as strongly about that wasn't four mana, but I couldn't. I, I remember this card being a banger. Near Heath Chaplin. Three and a white for a 3-1 human cleric with lifelink. And you can pay two and a white to exile it from your graveyard to make two 1-1 one, one white spirit creature tokens with flying activate only as a sorcery. Do you have the same memory of this? Oh, yeah. That card's outstanding. It's incredible. Right. You just, like, just trade with something. It doesn't matter what. Gain three life and then you get Lingering Souls or like half of Lingering Souls. So good. Yeah, card is incredible. Very demoralizing when your opponent plays it. And when you play it, you feel outstanding. Moving on to blue. So its creature type themes are zombies and spirits in blue, black and blue, white, respectively. It's got a lot of investigating to be done. A lot of clue making happening in blue. And then a couple other specific things. One is mill looks to be existing at uncommon mostly but there are definitely some uncommon build around ways to mill out your opponent what do we got going on first first is manic scribe one in a blue for an o3 when it etbs each opponent mills three cards and then if you have delirium enabled which is those four different card types in your graveyard at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard that player mills three cards and my memory of these these mill strategies that they're real like that you can actually do them and they're legitimate like you can set up a defensive deck with these mill build arounds and totally do the thing right and and the delirium thing about manic scribe it's such a it, it feels very much like mill strategies which is like if you get close it doesn't matter right if you get them down oh, i got them down to five cards yeah but then you're just dead still but the thing with these delirium decks with Manic Scribe is it can feel very much like if you don't draft it correctly, if you don't build it correctly, you're going to fall flat. But when you get that consistent delirium, when Manic Scribe is milling three every single turn, God forbid you get two of them, the game is over very quickly. Well, and this next card is actually even better payoff for the mill deck. This is Fleeting Memories, two and a blue for an enchantment. When it ETBs, you investigate, and whenever you sacrifice a clue, target player mills three cards. Like This just could be your win condition in a control deck. So it replaces itself, which is awesome. And then blue-green especially is really good at just jamming a ton of clues. And you can oftentimes just play a control strategy. And then rather than like having creatures or some rare as your finisher, you've got fleeting memories. And just on back to back turns, you can sacrifice three clues, untap, sacrifice three clues, and like your opponents milled 18, you know, at the end of the game, that's super real and super easy to do from my memory. Man, I'm looking at this card. I'm having such a hard time adjusting. I'm looking at this card. <laughs> and I'm going, how's their time? How can we really allowed to play a magic card like this again? It's incredible. I can't wait. I remember this being good. There are, there are a lot of cards that are hazy. I remember winning with Fleeting Memories. Now, maybe that's rose-colored glasses, and it's not actually as good as I'm remembering, but I, dear listeners, rest assured, I will be trying Fleeting Memories right along with you. Awesome. Uh, we've also got an instant and sorceries theme in blue-red. That's sort of a, a normal thing that we see, a blue-red spells matter life. And a big payoff for it is in blue with Rise from the Tides. It's five and a blue for a sorcery. Create a tapped... 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. This is the real deal. Yes, I, I agree. This card is awesome. You, rather than just wanting to do instants and sorceries, though, and cast them, you also want to mill yourself. Correct. Which there are not tons of ways to do, not as many ways to do as you would like. Mm -hmm. But I remember this card being super good as a finisher in that blue-red spells deck, and I, I will be trying to make it work here for sure as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just like so demoralizing to be like, okay, I'm sort of like stable against this deck or whatever. And then they just make like 
seven tapped zombies and you go, oh, cool, I have one turn and then I'm just dead. Well, and it doesn't even have to be that, right? We saw from Imperial Oath, three tutus, quite good, right? And that's pretty reasonable to do if you're a dedicated instant sorceries deck, even without help from self-milling. And anything past three, you feel great about casting this card. I think let's let's walk back the Imperial Oath uh, comparison just because these are tapped. Those had vigilance. You got the scry three. Those <laughs> those made the three. I just want to say, like, you can ask a little bit more from this card than just three tokens. Yeah, I said once you get past three, you're very happy. I think four, you're happy. No, yeah, you're not happy with uh, yeah. four zombies. I'm happy with four zombies. They're tapped. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't like stabilize you immediately. <laughs> I feel like we turned into Seinfeld there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a look at some top commons. Blue is a little weak at common, I think, but I sort of sort of picked out a little package here. So one card that I think is a little unassuming is Ingenious Scob. Two and a blue for a two, three zombie horror with prowess. Um, so prowess is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And you can pay blue to give Ingenious Scob plus one, minus one until end of turn. Do you remember this card in your hazy, foggy memory? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. I don't. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Okay, so I do remember this card, and I remember it feeling unblockable most of the time. Like, into open mana, it was very hard to know how you could favorably block this, because if your opponent had a trick plus some blue activation, it was just like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this very fluctuating power and toughness creature? Yeah, that makes sense to me. That checks out. And so I threw in two spells that I thought played pretty well with Ingenious Scob. Yeah, in the number two slot, we've got Drag Under here. Two and a blue for a sorcery, return target creature to its owner's hand, draw a card. So a really nice way, you know, fire that off pre-combat, then crack in with the Ingenious Scob as a larger monster. And a card, again, that it looks, I'm sure you remember this card. My guess is you remember Jace's Scrutiny. One and a blue for an instant, target creature gets minus four, minus O until end of turn, investigate. This is like, startle from midnight hunt which was excellent i think this is better than startle yeah i mean if you stick this you two for one your opponent if you're winning the combat on the back of it yeah minus four minus oh is a lot and this just in conjunction with the ingenious scob it's so hard to beat that card in combat ever some other ones that sparked some memories for me uh we also talked about this earlier but drown yard explorers just a clean two for one four mana for the Mm -hmm. two four etb investigate like just getting that every single time plus once you get a lot of toughness on the board it's very difficult for your opponent to attack through multiple drown yard explorers i just remember that card doing a fair amount of work Agreed. And then also Laboratory Brute. There's not a ton of ways to self-mill. So this is three and a blue, three, three, when ETBs put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard. I don't think this is a good card, but a fairly unique effect from what I saw looking through the spoiler. So maybe, you know, if you're trying to mill for your Rise of the Tides instant and sorcery deck, like this is a good speed bump along the way to help you turbo some instants and sorceries into your graveyard. One of the things I just realized, because what I wrote in the notes here was you'll need this for spider spawning week, which they're, they're, we haven't talked about yet, but the shadows of the past thing that they're doing, we'll talk about at the end of the episode, but there's like a flex slot in each pack that will be drawn from a different pool of cards for each of the four weeks that the set is live on Arena. But that whole week is about flashback stuff. And so what might be cool is, are there going to be some cards that go from like, clunky to really desirable depending on what shadows of the past week we're in i don't know if we'll definitely see that kind of thing but laboratory brood is a card i have my eye on for that week for sure 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, top uncommons was hard to choose because they're all so build around y or archetype specific, but we'd be remiss to not shout out ongoing investigation, which is the quote unquote signpost blue green card. It's one and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, investigate. And you can pay one in a green, exile a creature card from your graveyard, investigate, you gain two life. I have lots of memories of milling myself out with this card. (laughs) That card's broken. This card is excellent. You draw a lot of cards. The two life is really, really good. Much like certainly the, the first part is great too, right? And just getting to connect with your opponent and make a clue. But the second part is is really where this card pops off because you get a little bit of time back for paying the mana to investigate. You get that life back. Yeah, cards very strong. The number two slot, we've got Rise from the Tides. That's that six mana thing that cares about instants and sorceries in your graveyard to make those two two tapped zombies. Another one that was amazingly good in my memory was Erdwall Illuminator. So it's one in a blue for a one three flying. And whenever you investigate for the first time each turn, investigate an additional time. You like two for one in your opponent? How about three for one in your opponent every time you investigate? We are all over the place with our memories. It's very funny. You don't like this card? I remember this card underperforming. I remember it being kind of win more. No. Yeah. No. It's it's like at a a certain point, you don't have time (laughs) to crack all these clues. No. My my memory (laughs) is very hazy about a lot of things. I will fight you on Erdwald Illuminator. I feel very passionately here. This card is very strong. Don't pass it. Okay. All right. That takes us on to black. Some themes we've got going on here. Zombies in the blue-black space. Vampires in the black-red space. As well as a host of other things that all kind of line up into this weird, soupy mess that we're works with each other. So delirium in black, which is good because you've also got discard outlets and madness, which helps you in turn fuel delirium. So there's a lot of ways black plays very well with itself and with other colors. And then there's also sacrifice and death mattering stuff going on too, which again fuels into that delirium theme. Right. And I want to shout out an early glue card for black. I would not be myself, Ethan Sachs, Lord Tupperware, if I did not shout out the derpy rebuyable creature in Sanitarium Skeleton. Single black for a 1-2, and you can pay two and a black to return it from your graveyard to your hand. So we just had a card like this in the Brothers War, which is Clay Revenant, but that came back to the battlefield tapped, right? It came into the battlefield tapped when you returned it to your hand, which was a big downside, right? You couldn't like repeatably chump with it. Sanitarium Skeleton, you can do that. But I think more importantly, sort of like what Clay Revenant did was it got to bop back and forth from your graveyard to your hand. So if you're looking for repeatable discard fodder for your discard triggers in your deck, then this is a great way to do that. Something to sacrifice to. Uh, You can emerge a creature, not for a big cost reduction because it's only going to go down by one mana, but pretty free there. I think Sanitarium Skeleton is going to do a lot of little gluey things for the black decks. Yeah, and that takes us on to our top commons. In the number one slot, we've got Deadweight, which is black for an enchantment. Enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. That card is incredible, not only because it's a very efficient removal spell and can just shrink large creatures to the point where they're irrelevant, but if you kill something with it, it gets an enchantment in your graveyard for Delirium, which is kind of an awkward type to get in there. Big agree with all of that. In the number two slot, we've got Olivia's Dragoon, one and a black for a 2-2 Vampire Berserker, and it has discard a card. Olivia's Dragoon gains flying until end of turn. I remember this card being quite strong. Yeah, I would say that our our number three card might 
push past it. But it's, again, memory's hazy, so I don't feel strongly enough to like really argue about it. But number mm-hmm. three slot, we've got Geese's Bidding. This is two black black for a sorcery. Create two 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 black zombie creature tokens, and it's got madness for two and a black. This card is just a ball of raw efficiency. Yeah, and such a great like one two punch. I guess Olivia's Dragoon is slightly awkward in that you don't often get to ambush people with the madness stuff because you want to you often want to madness things on your turn so you get to attack with a two mana two two flyer um but still okay to go dragoon on two and then attack with it as a flyer on turn three get your two two twos oh for sure but uh, yeah olivia's dragoon is crazy important if you're doing anything with madness geese is bidding just good enough without madness also i think it's important to know like geese's bidding is not a madness card because it's also a sorcery that is creatures for delirium which is desirable there it's two two twos for four mana which is fine if you're manacing it great like that's huge upside but geese's bidding is just a good card from what i remember and i think important to note black is much lighter on removal than we're used to seeing right we're used to seeing something like dead weight then something that costs maybe two or three mana that kills medium-sized things then something that costs five mana to kill anything there's dead weight and then there's a six mana sorcery speed spell, I think, that's just clunky as all get out. Um, so black is much lighter on removal than usual. And that takes us on to our top uncommons. First up, we've got Kindly Stranger. What's going on there? Kindly Stranger is two in a black for a two, three human, and it has a delirium activation. You can pay two in a black to transform it only if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, but you can do it at any point. And when you transform it into Demon Possessed Witch, which is a four, three, when it transforms, you may destroy target creature. Whew. Yeah, that's an incentive to uh, to get delirium if I've ever seen one. And then this, if this dies, you have a way to get it back from the graveyard, as Black often does. Right? The we already saw Midnight Scavengers gets back mana value three or less. Right? When this dies, it goes back to its front side. Get this back. Put it into play. Delirium. Kill another thing. Boom. Number two slot, we've got Haunted Dead. A three and a black for a 2-2. Two, two. When ETBs create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying, you can pay one and a black, discard two cards to return Haunted Dead from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. This card is very annoying to play against. Agreed. Yeah. Just like looks, I think, a little unassuming but is is quite assuming uh i like the two cards that you've also shouted out here a a lot of these black uncommons i had strong memories of first up is a cursed witch what's that this is three and a black for a four two spells your opponent's cast that target a cursed witch cost one less to cast and when it dies you return it transformed under your control attached to target opponent and it comes back as a curse so you enchant your opponent and then spells you cast the target enchanted player cost one less to cast. That's not super relevant. But at the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep, that player loses one life and you gain one life. This card is just a, a huge game changer when it comes down. Like your opponent doesn't really want to attack into it. Right. You can attack into them. They don't really want to block it. But then subsequent damage they take when it does finally die makes the drain more impactful. I just remember this card being awesome. I remember it being really annoying for sure. And exa- everything you're talking about is, is exactly right, right? It just changes the course of the game because we've seen these kinds of effects, right? The the drain one, gain one effects in black as auras or as enchantments. And, you know, it's sort of like, well, it doesn't affect the board itself or whatever. And this sort of mitigates all of that because for it to get there, it's a four mana four two that's traded with something, right? That's how it's died. And so then you're just getting this effect for sort of free. And that is really hard to race if you're not already pretty far ahead. 
Yes. And lastly, we've got Call the Bloodline, which is just another banger build around. So this is one in a black for an enchantment. You can pay one, discard a card to put a black 1-1 Vampire Knight creature token with lifelink onto the battlefield. And you can activate this ability only once each turn. Now, you have to pay the mana, which is a little annoying, but it's well worth it to get 1-1 Vampire Knights along with your stuff. And I think my biggest overall impression of this format, just looking back at the spoiler, you know, we said our memories were a little hazy, whatever. Like the build around uncommons all stood out to me. And I just mm-hmm. remember that era of like build around uncommons. And we don't get that a ton anymore. Like build around uncommons have not been a huge part of magic lately. Yeah, it took me a wa- too long, I think, uh, in our podcast lifetime to stop sort of shouting that out and just being like, we just don't get it anymore. And that's like, you know, we can feel sad about it or whatever, have opinions about it. But it just doesn't seem like they make those kinds of cards anymore. That takes us on to red uh, themes in terms of creature types. We've got vampires and wolves and werewolves. I think flavorfully, uh, the vampires often get a benefit from dealing damage to your opponent, and they often have madness themselves. So some ways that you can, you know, you can't really ambush people with them, right? You're not like ninjutsuing them in. But if you madness them end of turn, you can maybe surprise your opponent with, oh, hey, I've got this vampire, and now it's going to hit you because you didn't know that I had that creature in play. So we got vampires, wolves and werewolves. We've got spells matter. And then we've got madness slash discard. Yeah. And I think red best as a compliment to black and blue from what I remember. Yes, I agree. All right. Top commons in the number one slot. We've got incendiary flow. This is one in a red for a sorcery deals three damage to any target. If a creature dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead. All of that is amazing. Can go faced and exiling stuff is super relevant because of things like delirium. And then a lot of creatures just have effects from the graveyard. In the number two slot, I'm not super confident here. So curious to chat about this. We've got galvanic bombardment. Single red for an instant deals X damage to target creature where X is two plus the number of cards named galvanic bombardment in your graveyard. Yeah, seems incredible coming off of Phyrexia All Will Be One. But I I remember this card being fine to good. Right. Significantly less good than Incendiary Flow is my memory, but still quite playable. Right. And and I think, you know, maybe a nod towards if you can do some self-mill stuff, certainly a nod towards blue-red spells matter. But, you know, if you can collect them all here, Bombardment scales very well with the game, right? If you get three of them, the first one is two, then three, then four. That's pretty nice. In the number three slot, we've got Conduit of Storms. This is two and a red for a two, three. Whenever it attacks, add red at the beginning of your next main phase this turn. And then you can pay three red red to transform this into Conduit of Emrakul, which is a 5-4, and whenever it attacks, you add two colorless mana at the beginning of your next main phase this turn. So you can play this on three, attack with it on four, and use that mana to transform it, right? Add that red mana to your four other mana to turn this into a 5-4, which is pretty darn snowball-y. Yes, but you have to have a free attack on turn four, which is not going to happen super often. Right, but then it does sort of like, I mean, it can, I mean, it is a, a, just a 2-3, but on the play, certainly, it could, you know, have make your opponent go, can I really, maybe I was going to try and race and maybe now I'm not or whatever, you know, maybe they have to leave back another blocker, you know, it does make your opponent not want to let this uh, have any kind of a good attack. Plus, you can, with just five mana, transform this mid combat, right? So you can sort of do a threat of activation, you won't get this buffer of red but you can attack with this when you have five mana and your opponent has to go, well, it's a 2-3 now, but I sort of have to treat it as a 5-4 uh, in combat if they can transform it. Yeah, that all checks out. Uh, what are some other cards you remember? Because I do remember this Ember Eye Wolf overperforming, as you said. 
Yeah, this is one in red for a 1-2 with haste, and you can pay one in a red to give it plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn. I just remember it being annoyingly good, like that it, it doesn't look like a great card up front, but that it was always a problem on the battlefield when my opponents had it, and it was always pretty good when I was playing it. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that it gets in, again, a sort of threat of activation thing that happens, and then just randomly in the late game, you're like, this can just be a 7-2 that you have to deal with or whatever. Yeah. Uh, also, Ravenous Bloodseeker downshifted from Uncommon. Uh, this is one in a red for a 1-3. You can discard a card to give it plus 2, minus 2 until end of turn, much like Olivia's Dragoons. This card is just incredibly important if you're going to be playing with any sort of madness cards. And then our top Uncommons in the number one slot, we've got Thermo Alchemist, one in a red for an 0-3 with Defender. You can tap it to deal one damage to each opponent, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, untap Thermo Alchemist. RIP the days of this being a common. RIP, but still very good at uncommon. And number two, we've got Fiery Temper. This is one red red for an instant, deals three damage to any target, and has a madness for red. Yeah, just another ball of efficiency card there. Another upshift from common. Sad to see it. And then, gotta shout out Uncaged Fury. I had to put an honorable mention here. Two and a red for an instant. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains double strike until end of turn. Many games... (laughs) of limited in this format were ended with an uncaged fury on the stack wasn't there a wombo combo with this that gave trample also yeah it was a green card right that's kind of what i remember there was a one two punch with a werewolf that was just like okay cool i died (laughs) yeah for sure all right that takes us on to green some themes we've got going on in green we've got wolves and werewolves and then humans if you're pairing it with white so green white humans green red wolves and werewolves tons of investigating going on especially if you pair it with blue also cares about delirium and has some ways to help you get cards in the graveyard for example something like grapple with the past what's going on there so this is one in our green for an instant mill three cards then you may return a creature or land card from your graveyard to your hand and the really important thing to remember with cards like this that look like they're fueling delirium is that this also counts itself so not only is this an instant to put into your graveyard not only does this help you you know hit a land drop early, I guess, if that's what you want to do, though not the best way to spend your second turn. That helps you hit a land drop early. Gets back any creature. It doesn't have to be from among the three cards milled, right? So we used to those kinds of effects recently. No, no, no. This checks your entire graveyard for a land or a creature. And then also adds those other cards that you milled with this to your delirium count. So can really up your delirium game quite quickly. Yeah, isn't this card incredible? Shouldn't I remember this card being awesome? Shouldn't this be in the old top commons here? Sure, you tell me which one it should replace. We can put it there. I, I don't feel confident that it's better than any of those three. Yeah, maybe not. I just remember Grapple being a house. The more you were talking about it, I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, green also plays in the sacrifice space. We've got Bloodbriar at common, two and a green for a two, three. Whenever you sacrifice another permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on Bloodbriar. Less of a, ooh, this is a card to like build towards and more of a just, hey, pointing out that green plays in this space. Well, and also sacrificing clue tokens just pumps this up as well, which is something you're going to be able to do quite easily. Correct. All right, that takes us on to the top commons. First up, we've got Byway Courier. Oh, what a card. Two and a green, three, (laughs) two. When it dies, you investigate. It's so funny, right? So in Crimson Vow, we saw this card. It was Spore Crawler, I think. This is two and a green for a three, two. And when it died, you just straight up drew a card. This card, that card was not good. Is this card not good? I remember this card being quite good. I think context is important. I think this is basically the same context. This card is quite good. 
Yeah. And also, again, like point out, especially because we aren't really talking about Emerge, because most of those are at rare or uncommon. But this is another great card to sacrifice to your Emerge creatures, reduces its cost by three, and you get to effectively draw a card with the clue token. In the number two slot, we've got Olvenwald Captive. One on a green for a 1-2 with Defender. It's a werewolf horror. It taps out a green mana, so a little two-mana, one-two mana dork. But then in the late game, you can pay five green green to transform this into a 4-6 Olvenwald Abomination that taps to add two colorless mana. And mostly you're just going to be using the 4-6 to kill your opponent at that point. Right. So, But like that's everything you want out of a mana dork, right? Is that it ramps you early, and then in the late game you go, oh, this isn't relevant anymore. Cool, now it's a 4-6. Yeah, card's quite strong. And the number three slot, we've got Rabid Bite. One in a green for a sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. All right, what cards do you want to shout out here, Ben, that didn't make the top three? Thornhide Wolves. Four and a green for a four or five. Vanilla. Card was just large. It was large. I don't, I, you say, I remember Thornhide Wolves being very large. I can't argue with that memory, but I don't, also don't remember it being like good necessarily. You don't remember it being a problem? I remember Thornhide Wolves being a problem. Maybe, maybe I am crazy or maybe I was bad at magic back then, but I loved a good Thornhide Wolves in the five drop slot. Yeah, maybe five toughness is the magic uh, magic number. We've also got a pretty significant downshift here with Briarbridge Patrol. This wasn't uncommon. It's three and a green for a 3-3 three, three human warrior. Whenever it deals damage to one or more creatures, investigate. And at the beginning of each end step, if you sacrificed three or more clues this turn, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. That didn't happen that much but certainly could but uh this sort of like four mana three three trades in combat gives you a clue pretty darn good right i was remember this being good and then i was thinking about this more last night randomly while i was falling asleep are you taking byway courier over briarbridge patrol pack one pick one yes you are right like it's just better because it's three mana versus four mana for essentially the same thing Correct. I also remember Weirding Wood being pretty good as a as a good fixer if you were going deep. This is two and a green for an aura enchant land. Whenever it ETBs, you investigate. An enchanted land has tap, add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Yeah, I don't know how much splishy, splashy life will be living. There are there's a full cycle of ten uncommon uh lands that you can use to fix your mana uncommon dual lands and then basically weirding wood is one of your your only options here otherwise sir don't play coy you're gonna be casting this card and jamming five color decks yes but but what i'm trying to do ben as a content creator (laughs) is i'm trying to inform i can separate the man from the beast i'm trying to to inform our listeners of the best way to approach this format not to let them dive in head first on day one, you know? Yeah, I mean, weirding, but it's good, though. If you want to go deep, some of our listeners are going to want to go deep. Yeah, and they, there's the card for them. Uh, looking at the top uncommons in the f- number one slot, we have Clear Shot. Two and a green for an instant. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. This is Blowout City. Holy cow, yeah. Clear Shot is... <laughs> A beating. Next up, we've got Duskwatch Recruiter. This is one in a green for a 2-2. You can pay two in a green, look at the top three cards of your library. You can reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And at the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast last turn, transform this into Crawlin' Horde Howler, which is a 3-3. Makes creature spells you cast cost one less to cast. Yeah, this card is just a real problem. Just two mana, 2-2. Two, two. 
if, if heaven forbid your opponent just misses <laughs> their two drop, the game's over. That's my misses, memory. Yeah, yeah missed your two drop, the game's over. Now you're being, being beaten down with a three three, and all of my creatures are cheaper. I get to play ahead of curve. Okay, incredible. Late game mana sink, a place to put your mana when you want to flip your other werewolves, whatever. Like also. You know, if your opponent, your opponent is kind of weirdly incentivized to try and flip this in the late game. So you don't have this way to sink your mana, but you can still activate it in your upkeep. This card is just very, very good. Yeah. Some other ones to shout out. Vessel of Nascency actually got upshifted here. I know. So this is green for an enchantment. You can pay one in a green, sacrifice it, reveal the top four cards of your library, and you may put an enchantment creature, enchantment land, or planeswalker from among them into your hand, put the rest into your graveyard. So this was one of the premium ways to turn on Delirium decks. Just super important for that. Um, and actually good enough that it got moved up to uncommon. But I assume we'll still be very good at uncommon. I agree. Uh, shout out to another excellent build around enchantment. We've got Olvenwald Mysteries, two and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, investigate. And whenever you sacrifice a clue, you make a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. Yeah, just a lot of small value things that all add up to very good build around. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Pack Guardian. This is 2GG for a 4-3 with Flash. And when it ETBs, you can discard a land card. If you do, put a 2-2 green wolf creature token onto the battlefield. And not necessarily so much for ambushing your opponent's creatures when they attack, but just allowing you to play at instant speed with your werewolves to pass the turn on turn four and maybe flip a two or three drop werewolf that you had and then add to the board with Pack Guardian. Well, and also just four mana for a 4-3 and a 2-2 if you've got the land to discard is incredible. Like... Any green deck wants this. Yes, very good. Yeah, green has a lot of really good cards at Uncommon. I found it hard to pick a top two. And that's going to take us on to Shadows of the Past. So we'll go ahead and link this. We're not going to talk about like all the cards that are being added here. But much like we've seen in previous sets, right, where there's always a saga or there's always a, you know, a dedicated slot for a land like there was in Kaldheim, there's going to be a dedicated slot in the packs for cards from Shadows of the Past which is a specific card pool that's going to rotate week by week. So we've got this set out for four weeks. In each of those weeks, the card pool that this slot is drawing from will be different. And they're all sort of titled in these sort of flashy different ways. So first up, we have Creature Type Terror. What's going on there? These are cards that care about or interact with the five different creature types of those allied color pairs that we talked about. So green-white humans, blue-white spirits, red-green wolves and werewolves, blue black zombies and red black vampires the next set is march 28th to april 4th this is the one that's going to overlap with midweek magic phantom sealed but more importantly this is the one that overlaps with the arena open and this is fatal flashback so this one features heavy hitters from original innistrad like spider spawning Silent Departure, which is a cool little single blue sorcery speed bounce spell with flashback for four and a blue, and Lingering Souls, which is two and a white to make two one one spirits and has flashback for one and a black. Yeah, that is awesome. The following week, April 4th through 11th, is called Morbid and Macabre. And this is all about creatures with undying, morbid triggers, which is something that triggers when a creature goes to uh, the graveyard or dies. And Otherwise, cards that care about creatures dying. And then the last slot, April 11th to 18th, is Abominable All-Stars. Eh, this one is less clear. <laughs> this, this just sort of seems like 
cards we wanted to be in print on Arena, which includes some format powerhouses like Grizzlebrand and Snapcaster Mage. So this one seems less like it'll shift around the kinds of you know pick order things we were talking about than the other three. But I definitely wonder, like, is week one going to feel more like allied color pair you know, creature type stuff. Then week two is going to feel more like self mill graveyard stuff. Week three is going to feel more about like, you know, delirium and sacrifice and madness stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know, but that'd be cool if that does feel like how the format shifts. Yeah, and absolutely. And this extra slot also means that there's going to potentially be multiple rares per pack for things like, you know, sealed for the arena open, for example. Um, it's definitely going to affect both sealed and draft. Oh, yeah, for sure. I didn't think about that. That's definitely true. So our scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about the return of Shadows over Innistrad? I'm very excited. I'm, I'll am give it like a solid 7 or an 8. I mean, not quite full 10 new format hype, but like a new puzzle to solve. Because this is essentially when I wasn't, I mean, like obviously thinking for myself, but like wasn't really trying to solve formats in the way that we are now. So I'm excited to see if my hazy memories hold up. Uh, and how that all, you know, matches up against what the data says and all of that. So I can tell the data truthers that they're wrong about things, you know, my favorite things to do. Excellent. Can't wait. Yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you. I am excited. That's my main thing. It's like not excited as I would be for a new set, but excited to see like where my card evaluation shifted from like when I was more of a <laughs> more of a follower than a leader, let's say. Yeah. And I think also will be very cool as well to just to get a fresh format. I mean, I think you and I both enjoyed one very much, but I, mm -hmm. I am cooling on one now. Like, not that I still don't want to draft it or whatever, but I am certainly drafting less than I was, you know, two or three weeks ago. And it, it'll be nice to have what looks like a very different speed of format as well. Yeah, it sounds like you've been dipping your toe into some other games. I've been playing a little bit more poker this past week, whereas like normally my wind down would still be to to fire up a draft on my phone or whatever. So I'm definitely with you. Like one is less appealing to me. So very excited. This format's come at the perfect time. Excited to have it live tomorrow. Do you know what I also realized? I've been an absolute monster. I just this woke me up. Not really woke me up, but I was like falling asleep, just randomly thinking about stuff. And then like had the thought that makes you sit like bolt upright in bed, like not quite that dramatic. I think I know what it is. I think so, I know what the thought is. I, what what do you think the thought is? That you've been playing on your phone and so your stuff hasn't been tracked on, on uh, 17 lands? No, oh, okay. way worse than that. But it is related <laughs> to my phone. So I've been like in the evening when I'm watching TV or whatever, just playing some one drafts on my phone. But if it's ever like the last game in my mind uh -huh. and I'm going to lose, I just force quit the app. Which then makes me rope my opponents. Like, I, I don't actually concede, but I was oh. like mentally conceding. You know what I mean? Yes. So I've been like accidentally roping people, and I'm so sorry if anyone wow. has played against me and I've roped you. I didn't know I was doing it. I swear to God. And I was so panicked when I realized I'd been doing it. It just randomly floated into my head the other night. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a monster. Wow. I I don't know. I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. This is embarrassing for both of us. Order. It truly is. Thank Terrible. you for coming clean, at least. Yeah. I No more. I will always be conceding. <laughs> Great to hear it. All right. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all 
purchases or signing up for a TCG player subscription, please navigate your way over there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG player. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Blue-black zombies, blue-white spirits, red-green werewolves, red-black vampires, and whatever one I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say humans? I don't remember. I was so confident that I had them all in my head.